0: Hey, what's up everybody? My name's MJ and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a shout out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. On today's episode, I'm going to be introducing a brand new guest to the show to talk about something that is still very relatable to magic, but also start looking more into different aspects of the game, not just the actual pieces of cardboard and the gameplay. So I am very excited to introduce my guest today, Drew, aka Beyond the Machina. Hey, how's it going today? Hi, not bad. How are you? I'm doing great. So uh, topic of yeah. So uh, Drew, could you tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do?
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, my name is Beyond the Machina. I'm a Magic the Gathering inspired uh, playmat and proxy artist. Uh, I make a lot of Magic the Gathering inspired playmat and proxies. Uh, I'm most notorious for a playmat that is pretty infamous for spawning. I mean, for uh, spamming Facebook with a tipped over salt shaker that says, "Did you know uh, a player may can see the game at any time?" That's where most people recognize me from. But I do. A lot more stuff like that. Uh just all across the board. Uh yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at Beyond the Machina, only there's no E and the the. Or on Ink Gaming at Inkgaming.com slash Beyond the Machina. Uh B-E-Y-O-N-D T-H-E-M-A-C-H-I-N-A.
0: Alright, and I've definitely taken a look at your work on Ink Gaming. It's great. So I recommend that the listeners definitely take a look at your work and hopefully you should buy something. It's it's great stuff. Especially if you really enjoy the this the, the art style that came out of Call Time that just came out a couple months ago. I think you'll really enjoy Beyond the Machina's work.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty proud of it.
0: Alright, so the topic of today's episode is going to be white art and Aesthetics Matter in Magic the Gathering. Now, obviously, this can take on a whole lot of connotations, whether that's actually the artwork included on the tiny pieces of cardboard that we play with as Magic players, or whether that's more of kind of the, the landscape drawings, the the art books that are released, like, like that uh, Wizards released that Legends art book, uh, what, a month or two ago, something like that. And, it, and mm-hmm. yeah... So just different things like that, or some of the aesthetics, the backgrounds, or or even in this case where we're going to be talking about fan art, especially your art, and just trying to really figure out why art matters in this game. Obviously, a lot of things I talk about on this channel regard the gameplay, regard deck building, things like that. And I wanted to kind of take a quick break from that to really be able to talk about another thing that I really enjoy about the game, which is the art, the style of Magic the Gathering, and just the whole world that, sorry, the the whole realm of planes, excuse me, that have been created as part of this game to to really bring these cards to life. So um, I, I guess I just really wanted to start on the conversation where you sit regarding the art from some of the most recent sets. Obviously, we just had Call Time come out a month or two ago. That com- went off in a completely different direction than the standard, what we consider traditional art style that Magic has been known for the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years and really started to go off more into the heavy metal genre, started to have a completely different vision and style uh, than, than, than a lot of the recent cards. And then we're going to be going to like, Strixhaven, which, again, is probably more of a regular return to that style. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on on time, the art style there and uh, what you really enjoyed about that.
1: Uh, so for like recent sets in general, I think Time definitely has one of the more standout artworks. I don't think it's the best uh, I don't think it's the best re- recent artwork base, like, I don't think it's the most recent the best recent set with the best artwork. Uh, I'd say that's still Dominaria. Domineri's artwork was just hit after hit after hit while like Coldheim, it's really cool and some of the artworks are really interesting but some of the other artworks are like oh yeah it's like a generic slightly darker colored various fantasy things that really could be put on any plane but I think with Koldheim's shift towards more of a I wouldn't even say heavy metal but more of a like Viking metal because like I, I'm a big uh rock and heavy metal fan and like they covered like one very niche aspect of metal music, which is fine. It's okay. But uh it's almost like they got like the very surface level ah, here's what makes it cool. And reflected that on some of the stuff. Some of the cards look phenomenal. Like Esica, God of the Bridge. And then the prismatic bridge, and I personally think all of the uh, showcase cards are marvelous looking. I just think like some of the showcase cards in the set as a whole uh, kind of suffer from like regular Magic artwork syndrome. Strixhaven, I am hopeful for, because it's meant to be kind of a One, it's still more of a regular magic set. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Nothing like really like, oh, here's like a really interesting draw. Something that we've never seen before. But with them taking more non-traditional looks at, one, the enemy color pairs, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And a more non-traditional look at that, as well as a very magic version of the magical school Mm -hmm. uh i i'm confident in it and like magic's artwork overall has gotten substantially better in my opinion from the days of when magic's artwork was just kind of yep that's a magic card instead of something that's like oh wow that looks really cool from like Exelon had that problem. Battle for Zend- Battle for Zendikar had that problem. A lot of the Dragons of Tarkir and Favor Forge cards had that problem. As much as I like the Dragon with the Cons block, and like all of the sets around that area, their artwork just kind of blended into each other. Kind of like how like every video game was like sepia colored from like 2005 to 2012.
0: It's the mm-hmm. same problem. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with you on that one. The the art from the last couple of years has definitely been a lot more vibrant than it was during during that during those sets 4, uh, three, four three, four, five, maybe six to ten years ago. And it it it's definitely something that even myself as someone who is terribly poor at artistry, um, with, with, with visual arts, can can really still appreciate is the fact that it brings a different a completely different life into the cards. And that's really what I wanted to talk about today on our episode is why art and these these is aesthetics including especially including the lighting um, definitely are inclu- or are important aspects of the whole Magic the Gathering thing. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on why not not only why Dominaria specifically was so great in your opinion for the vision and the style that it used. But also, just why you believe that art and aesthetics are important are are an important part of Magic: The Gathering and are potentially just as important as the gameplay itself. I've uh, so
1: going backwards to the front of like your question. Um, the reason I feel that art and aesthetic design in Magic is important is one, it? it's what thoroughly distinguishes it from uh, other card games, other trading card games. And what makes it really pop. Now, sometimes that could be a problem, sometimes that could be better. Like, there's always a, like, there's the trope amongst some artists that you can tell it's a magic card because it has fog in it. And But when Magic's artwork and design really are allowed to explore, really allowed to be a Magic card, be part of the universe of Magic the Gathering, it makes us this own unique beast that makes it so that every part of the card and every part of the game, ideally, just evoke this feeling of all of the colors and Magic and why they're important and what they matter. And along from a flavor standpoint of why the artwork's important, functionally, the artwork, currently how it is, says, oh, here's one, us wearing sort of our influences on our sleeve, and two, us like making it so that these colors can be explored more fully both like functionally. So the best example I can think of off the top of my bat, off the top of my head is what time spiral remastered is doing. Mm-hmm. So they're using the old border with newer artworks and those newer artworks really they're diverse. They're special. They look like, Oh, this is something that like it, It looks cool. It's cool. And the old borders, as much of an accessibility issue as they are, really evoke that sort of the red ones are rocky, they're firm, they're tough. The black ones are kind of this bubbling muck. The green are like roots weaving between the things. And when the player plays them, from a functional standpoint, it shows that you are playing these... That that's what you're playing. You're playing green, you're playing black, you're playing red, you're playing white, and it evokes that feeling, which is really important. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, Dominaria is the best with this in the most recent years. At least from like a standard set, there have been a few like non-standard sets that are I think are really cool, but I think Dominaria is the best one to like reference back to. Sure. Where like every white card on Dominaria the artwork isn't white faded. It's not, oh, look, it's a bunch of sand or a bunch of wheat or a bunch of corn. It's, uh oh, these are stained glass windows in a church, in a chapel, in the city of Benalia. Or here is this knight on a horse with blue skies and this grand vista behind him. And it's like, wow, this is, I am going on an adventure with trading cards. It's kind of goofy, but it's cool. And Magic Arena does it to an extent, as much as I dislike Magic Arena's economy and a lot, like how they work and all that. Mm -hmm. Magic Arena, when you play those cards, they really evoke that, oh, I'm doing this cool thing. Especially with the Dominaria cards looking, in my opinion, just a little bit extra. Little bit extra compared to some of the other stuff. A lot of the stuff from Ammon Cat, a lot of the stuff from Kaladesh—they're cool, but they're all to a degree monochromatic. Which, if you blur your eyes, you just look at your hand. You're like, ah, yeah, those are a few cards. And then, same thing with Dominaria. You're like, oh, that's something different. And it's it's cool from a flavor standpoint because it shows that there is literal diversity in this world as well as a functional diversity saying oh you don't need to just play these white knights in a white deck you can play them in anything because they are all
0: the colors they they it's yeah yeah so it's interesting that you did bring up the time spiral remaster given the fact that that ep- that uh, set is dropping this friday so, uh, you're, you're right in, in the previews that I've seen, I've been very impressed by the stylistic appearance of a lot of those cards. I mean, some of those are cards that obviously I've had the opportunity to pick up during the last couple of years, super cheap and original borders, but you're right. There's something special about that old border that really makes me want to pick up some singles once the set drops just because they do have that eye popping, uh, aspect to them that really sets them apart. Uh, this is also something that reminds me of how I'm, I've built now a white-bordered commander deck uh, oh, yeah. for, for a game with a couple of the guys who I've had here on the podcast before, uh, Peter, a.k.a. Mono White Border, and J-Ro, Coach j the Unsummoned Skull. We are oh. going to be having a white-bordered commander game here real soon, where we're all going to be playing decks that are built specifically and only out of white-bordered cards. So all the core sets up to course uh, up to ninth edition, and from unlimited to ninth, I believe. Uh, yeah. Um, or maybe, maybe yeah, yeah, unlimited to ninth, yeah. And it's it's just another interesting way of looking at things because I've I'm very new to Magic myself. And something about having the, the old card style is, is actually really nice to me because, well, I'm okay with the, the existing border because it's all I've ever really known as a player getting in so late. It's also something, it, it, you're right, it definitely lacks something that the old card borders definitely have. And in the case of the white-bordered cards, I find that even when I'm going through my long box of chaff, just when I'm trying to build new decks, just trying to brew new ideas, things like that, that I'm a- my, aw- I- my eyes are drawn immediately to all the white-bordered cards that I have. doesn't matter if they're any good or not. A lot of them are really bad, honestly, and I probably would never play them in a deck. But the fact that they have a white-border and they are different from, obviously, all the black-border cards I have in my set just sets them apart aesthetically. And I feel like that's an extremely important part of this whole game concept that we're going to be doing here real soon. I know that uh, Peter's build is close to finishing his deck out. We hopefully will have some more uh, information on that coming up soon. And I am really looking forward to playing that deck. But what's really nice about it is the fact that it, it's very different than any of my other decks, not only because it's just kind of a crappy deck, you know, power-wise. I mean, again, I'm, I don't really care about the power on that one. But I just really enjoy being able to play all the third edition uh, lands that I was able to use for that deck versus just the usual hodgepodge of black bordered lands from like the last five years in there. It's really nice to be able to have matching third edition lands in there as part of that deck because it just it evokes that feeling of I'm playing with retro cards that... You know, may not be powerful, but it, it just evokes a completely different play experience than when I'm typically just sitting down to play against my play group with my, my regular EDH decks. I yeah. just like the fact that they feel different, they look different, the art is different, especially my commander, Palladium ors who I have the Chronicles version. Well, you know, it was done in a vastly different style than the vast majority of Magic cards are done these days. But yeah. in a way, it's kind of nice because, you know, we're, we're playing with the older cards, but it is nice to have that same aesthetic drawn style that goes with it versus just starting to kind of throw in some Amaket lands, uh, M20 lands, things like that that are just mismatched. It's just nice to have that old aesthetic art style throughout the, the majority of the deck. Obviously, 7th through 9th editions, they started experimenting with some of the, some of the art styles in there, but... For the most part, it really sticks with like the chronicles through fifth or sixth edition, where this, the art is pretty much standard.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that's exactly the thing. Is magic is magic because it evokes this sort of feeling, it evokes this style, it evokes this place almost, and when that sort of place is kind of homogenized. I think that's the right word when everything looks the same then it just starts kind of tasting and feeling the same it's like oh yeah we're on Zendikar cool we're on Zendikar oh cool we're on Innistrad but we're just on Innistrad oh cool we're on Eczema oh cool it's Ravnica for the umpteenth time as cool as some of Ravnica is Compared to everything else, it's just like, ah, yeah, cool, we're here now, I guess. Whatever. Again, it goes back to, like, every video game in 2005 to 2010 being sepia-colored. And it's really cool when Magic embraces, or when even players embrace, that, again, Magic being magical. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So I feel like this really actually goes perfectly into some of your work. So obviously, you have a completely different vision than a lot of what Wizards has been doing lately. And I'm just kind of curious to know what your process is going into... So when you create your own artwork, whether that's for playmats or uh, just for standard art prints or things like that, what do you take from the initial card that you're working with? And then how do you take that initial concept and make your art a reality? So
1: the the main reason I started doing my stuff was mostly just as general fan art. It's a sense evolved since then, so now I'm doing like my own versions of cards or like my own like twists and spins on magic characters and magic environments. But at first it just started off because I was upset and annoyed with magic looking very samey. Uh especially when it came to playmats because playmats are cool, playmats like every magic player has, but you lay them out on a table, four players all have like different tournament playmats or different store playmats and like they're all kind of faded. They're all cool, they're all neat, but they're all the same sort of faded, vaguely realistic, vaguely fantasy artwork and they just kind of blend to the eye. So I'm like, "Oh, I'll do magic fan art that's just black and white so that if you smack it down on a table, it will immediately pop. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, I am like, Hey, this is one, something I really enjoy and something I'm pretty good at. And two people really respond to when like magic, the, the magic environment and magic things are kind of pushed in a way more radical direction. But again, that's why Secret Layers are so popular and, mm-hmm. while, and why I'm not the only notable playmat and proxy artist. And, yeah. But when it comes to my stuff specifically, it started off with that, oh, I'll just do fan art and make it a little bit different so that it's eye-catching, and now it's in a way so that Um, I can kind of express my own personality into my own magic world, my own environment, Mm -hmm. which is one that's a little bit more like dark, a little bit more comedic, darkly comedic, a little bit more um, comical to a degree. So some of my stuff is more like comic book inspired, like, my young pyromancer, which is a very much Calvin and Hobbes-inspired kid running across this background with elementals uh, trailing behind. And then another very really comic book one I've made is... Um... Oh, bother. I'm looking through some of my artwork right now.
0: Yeah, take your time.
1: Uh, probably be, like, my Slimefoot the Stowaway, where it's this, uh-huh. this cool-looking Slimefoot with a little, like, blizzard of spores behind him. And then it can go to kind of a mix between like darker horror and comic book style with like my Gitrog, which is one of my personal favorites where it's very much a Gremlins inspired artwork where it has this cute little frog on a white floor. And then the background of its shadow is this very monstrous and disturbing looking like frog demon horror. Again, kind of like the box art of Gremlins where you see Gizmo waving on the front, and then his shadow is this big, warped-looking gremlin shadow. And my Cranko artwork is Cranko with a bunch of goblins exploding a bank in the background, him giving, like, a sly, kind of a greedy-looking smile, wink at the camera sort of thing. And then I've done a few things that are just, like, pretty much horror. Uh, recent memory, I've done... Um, my Smothering Tithe, which is just this, like, really grotesque-looking zombie part that's, like, has kind of, like, an Orzoth-looking aesthetic in the background, and it's, like, forcibly vomiting coins. Uh, then I have my Path to Exile, where it's this person being absorbed by, like, this great cosmic being as his face disintegrates into ash and is swirling into this great abyss sort of thing. But I, that that's, like, my general style is it ranges from, like, comic to darkly comedic to just dark. <laughs> and I, I really enjoy that. That's just kind of my, like, sense of humor and, like, enjoyment things in general. And I like reflecting that into how I view and play the game.
0: I like it. So, um, you did mention Secret Lair. Obviously, we have to talk. We were kind of compelled to talk about that one, with without really going obviously into all the major problems involved with the whole Secret Lair or fear of missing out thing. I'm just interested in hearing your take on how some of the art in those Secret Lair products has really pushed the boundaries of the standardized Magic: The Gathering art. Obviously, we've seen some really stellar examples like the Black is Magic set that just came out last, I believe, yeah, it was last month. And obviously the art for that was amazing. It broke a lot of boundaries and it really set up, I, I think it set up us up for a lot of great future Secret Layer products, I hope. And I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were on the kind of the art and the aesthetics of those Secret Layers specifically, not really talking about obviously the baggage that comes with them. So,
1: without the baggage of the secret lairs, I am in a weird crossroads. I like them more than I dislike them. I'll, I'll start off with that. The crossroad is, on one hand, they're kind of doing what I've already been doing, only, of course, it's fully legal when they do it. Taking this more oddball style, this more unique vision, this more unique voice, and, like giving it into a magic lens and saying, oh, you want to play magic? You're a big heavy metal fan? Here's a like actual heavy metal set with Party Hard Shred Harder. These all look like modern heavy metal posters. They're borderless, really evocative, and all that. Uh, some of the past layers, I know people have really fallen in love with the Bitter Blossom Dreams, mm-hmm. and like the new Fairy Click one. It's like, oh, you like... Um, Oh, darn it. What's the... It's a I had it on the tip of my tongue that I I immediately forgot. It's that, like, rainbow unicorn mermaid painter tiger
0: artist that was, like, everywhere in the 90s, that one. Yeah, I I can't quite remember. I, I mean, I know what you're talking about. I just can't quite remember the name off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, but that sort of thing. Oh, you like them? Now you can enjoy magic? Well, now you can enjoy magic? and this thing at the same time mhm and so on the crossroads the one hand it's kind of taking what i do and doing it in a very legal sense like it's fully legal what i do is a little bit gray area i follow the rules i follow wizards policy i know what i'm doing i do it well but like i can't compete in any Sense of the word to Wizards of the Coast, but on the other hand, I really like some of the secret layers because of the same reason I dislike them. They let players play the game in this their own personality, their own view of the world as a whole, and their style and artwork preference as a whole, melding into magic. So. My favorite secret lair, probably of all time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is um either the heavy metal like can you feel the Heart of steel one, mm-hmm. which all the cards look like transformers. All the cards look like mechs, but not like traditional Japanese mechs. But very like Japanese American nineteen eighties nineteen nineties mechs. They're they're cool looking. And I I think they're really cool looking. And it's like, oh, wow, I'd like this sort of, like, 80s, 90s mechanical action aesthetic. And now I get to play that in Magic. And it's not weird type of thing. And my other favorite one is the Happy Little Gathering. Mm-hmm. The Bob Ross one? Yes. Just because... <laughs> Those lands are really evocative. They're. They look magical. They look fantasy. Like, they're based off of real lands, but, like, not places you've probably been. Even if you have literally been to those places, it's. The lens they're painted in are a little bit more content. They're relaxing. They're. It's. It evokes. While, like, the robot ones evoke that, yeah, I'm ready to, like, kick ass. Listen to Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al and go infinite with Heliod Ballista Combo. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Ross ones are like, yeah, I'm going to sit down with some friends. I'm going to maybe, like, have some drinks or smoke a little bit of weed and play some match at the Gathering. Let's let's have a chill time. And that whole emotion, that whole feeling is boiled down into 11 trading cards. (laughs) Which is so surreal to me, but I enjoy it so, so much. That's why I bought the regular Happy Little Gathering, and due to a clerical error, I got the foil one, so I'm getting the regular one for free. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah. So that made me even more excited. And whenever I look at those Bob Ross lands, I get that feeling of, yeah, this is just a breath of fresh air. In this card game, it evokes that mood, which then makes me feel that mood, you know? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so that's where I stand on Secret layers. is on one hand, they're kind of, they're taking my, they're taking my job! (laughs) But on the other hand, it's like, I'm glad they are, because of all of the proxy artists in Magic, they're all doing like way more radical stuff. Like I'm doing black and white tales from the crypt type shit. My friend Megan is doing more like softer um so still cool but like her own very strong aesthetic. Uh my friend Magical Rain is doing their own like cyber aesthetic. My friend Bento Box Proxies is doing his own like super cyberpunk outrun aesthetic. These are very more like radical aesthetics. These are like a niche of a niche, for the most part. Make it is like the least niche of them, in my opinion. Whilst magic's like heavy metal, uh, cute shit, Bob Ross. These are all like bigger niches that that uh, me and my friends are doing. The magic is doing like the stuff that, oh, wow, I didn't think about that, or like, I did think about that, but in no way would, like, be able to do it. And I'm glad they are, but at the other point, they'll get to a point where they're going to get to the niche that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So, that that's kind of where I stand without the more negative overall baggage of the secret layers. So, like, not talking about The Walking Dead, not talking about um
0: like the, the pringling the FOMO and stuff like that. thing too or the j- yeah. just kind of the the weird business model the glitchy website things like that yeah
1: yeah i mean i'm thankful i'm getting a free black I'm, I'm not a free black i'm thankful i'm getting a free happy little gathering because they messed up but also they shouldn't mess up
0: yeah, that that's been an unfortunate issue with a lot of their products as of late. Whether it's the Secret Layers or whether it's even just Jump Start or just you know some some other sets and things like that, it's yeah. unfortunate on that one. They're um, a
1: multi multi million dollar company. They should not mess up at every single step of the way, but they do, and it inconveniences some. It benefits
0: others, and it sucks. But whatever. Otherwise but what else are we gonna talk about if, if things are going completely smoothly? I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's the same principle as uh, the card one with nothing is mm-hmm. you got to have the bad cards so you appreciate the good cards more. You got to have wizards being complete dumbasses so that when they knock something out of the park, you will really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That that's kinda where I stand.
0: Okay, so I wanted to kind of push the timeline going forward here. Obviously, Strixhaven is coming out here next month, I believe, and then we have a couple more sets coming out through the rest of the year. I'm just kind of curious about your thoughts of where you would hope the the artwork would be going on some of these sets, whether it's uh, kind of doing more with what Strixhaven is doing or if there's just... Um, anything you'd like to see in the artwork going forward and then the next year or two. So the
1: number one thing I would love to see in the artwork, and this is like completely silly, but it's something that is just too fitting. Mm-hmm. It's something that is too perfect is I want a Innistrad, either a box topper or a secret layer or like an alternate, like promo version, kind of like how Kaldheim has the Norse borders. I want, a wizard of the coast to hire Tim Jacobus, the guy that made the Goosebumps book covers, to make Innistrad cards. I want it, please. Okay, yeah. It is. It is not important, but I love it. <laughs> uh, besides that, like kind of bizarre thing, uh, I kind of want like magic artwork to really sort of be itself. For lack of better phrasing, okay. So, Strixhaven, its a magical school. That's kind of a trope that's been done to death. It's cool. It's an interesting trope. It's very unique. But I say magical school. I'm not going to compare it to, uh, like the other notable magical school because that comparison's been done to death. Mm-hmm. But it is a comparison that is inevitable, and it is a comparison that is. Very well done. Uh, and so I don't... As much as they say they aren't, I don't want magic. I mean, as much as Wizards of the Coast say they're not going to take inspiration from that thing, they're probably still going to take inspiration from that thing. Of course. It's inevitable. it It will happen. We will see a reference, whether it is Incredibly explicit, or kind of implicit, it will be there. Mm-hmm. I want magic to be magic, not in a, like not in a. Why don't we just keep this a game and like not have crossovers? I don't care about that. When it comes to like, the main core sets, or when it comes to like the main like in universe sets, I want the magic artwork to evoke the feeling of magic artwork, whether that be. Something holy and unique, or magic's own pushing of something kind of well known but not overly well known, like magical school, mm-hmm. through the lens of the magic colors. Another good example of like when they did that is like Lorwyn Shadowmore, those yep. blocks, those artworks are so good, and they just took that sort of like C.S. Lewis grim fairy tale kind of, like, mid-European, Scottish, like, mythology and, like, art style that we've all seen to a degree before, and they just kind of pushed it through Magic's color lens, and they got this super unique world, this super unique artwork, where, yeah, it was Lorwyn. It is this world where if we visit it, we know it's Lorwyn, Mm -hmm. but not just do we know it's Lorwyn, we know it's magic. And with some of the other sets, it's like, yeah, cool. I look at anything from Battle for Zendikar, really, and some of it looks like Zendikar. Some of it just looks like, oh, that's probably just a and artwork. Or, oh, that's probably just a Pathfinder artwork. Or, oh, it's just a generic fantasy artwork. Nothing that's really, like,
0: evocative. That this is the world of Magic the Gathering. You know, Yeah, I, I definitely get that. It's it's something that I, I guess I'm a little bit concerned about going forward here is uh, going into the, the crossover concepts. How is Magic the Gathering going to retain its existing identity when there are potentially so many different crossovers? And I, I think that's just kind of where... I, I know I touched on this in my earlier conversation. Uh, I actually had Megan on the show a few weeks ago and yeah, we talked she's, just, she's great to talk to yeah it was a really great conversation and we we did get to t- spend a lot of time talking about specifically the lore of the rings and the warhammer crossovers mm. and i i guess i was kind st- and still am kind of skeptical i want to see where they're going to go with these crossovers specifically before i really render judgment but i guess that i'm still in the camp that i at least want magic to still feel like the game that i wanted to pick up a couple years ago when I was just starting because it did feel so mechanically unique. It had the art. It had that aesthetic that told me I wasn't playing any other card game except Magic the Gathering. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's definitely one of those things where I do agree with you on that one, and I think that uh, the next steps forward here, Witchers has to be kind of careful to make sure that uh, the game still feels like Magic instead of diverging off into something completely different. In that vein, I did want to ask you quickly uh, what your thoughts were going to be on the, the universes beyond and um, just how you think some of the styles are going to come in on that one. Obviously, we don't have a whole lot of information on this one. It's still kind of conjecture at this point. But I was just wondering if we're going to see just a whole kind of more of a secret layer style where all of a sudden we might start seeing more like randomly colorful comic book arts say from the forties, fifties, or uh j- just some other different kinds of styles that just don't echo Magic the Gathering. I just kinda wanted to hear your thoughts on on the Universes Beyond and what uh we may or may not see as far as the artwork and the aesthetics in those cards, especially if they are um put in some sort of uh legal set where they are legal for play and not silver bordered cards. So I I stand in a very similar Uh, school
1: of thought that Megan does where she's excited to a degree for the worlds beyond. They get more people in the magic, they're more beneficial as a whole. And they get more players in, which even if we don't necessarily agree with the aesthetics or the purpose, we now have more people to show the aesthetic and the purpose. So like, sure we might not necessarily agree with Warhammer or whatever, but Cool. Now we have people we can show. Like, look, here's Lorwin. Look. When it comes to like the art standpoint, I I think they're going to kind of test the waters and the D and D, uh, the D and D set coming in a few months. Yep. And, like D artwork, is. It's kind of generic. It's cool, but it's generic, which is fine. It's supposed to be. It's anybody's game. It's up to you to make it your your thing. Uh, With the D&D set, I think they're going to test the waters of what they're able to do. And then what I hope they do with Worlds Beyond is that I hope they really embrace, even if it's too kind of almost caricature level the style and the feeling of those worlds. So the two ones we know about for a fact Mm -hmm. are Lord of the Rings and Warhammer. I like Lord of the Rings. It's cool. And when I think of Lord of the Rings, I think of the illustrations that you find in The Hobbit, where it's this very high fantasy, kind of light, kind of airy... Um, a little bit like Lorwyn, but it's still its own identity and it's still very much its own thing. I watched the Lord of the Rings movies or I like watch the, um, the animated Hobbit movie mm-hmm. or the animated Lord of the Rings movie made in like the eighties or whatever. And like, they have a very similar aesthetic It sure, one's animated, it's more cartoon, the other one's live action, a little bit grittier, but they look and feel the same. You just look at them, and you're like, oh yeah, those are roughly the same thing. And once like, they make a magic set of that, I want that set to be like, oh yeah, that's the Shire. That's a place in New Zealand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's uh, the Eye of Sauron. And that's what it looks like. It's this big, towering black obelisk with this flaming eye in the middle. It's very sharp, very ragged, very evil-looking. Lord of the Rings is very much the story of very, like, nuanced good versus... I mean, very nuanced good versus very simple evil. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the artwork is. It's a very, like, Oh, the Shire and all those places, even though they look simple, the people in them are a little bit nuanced. They have feelings. They have emotions. And then, like, the evil is just evil. <laughs> uh, so, like, that has been evoked successfully in media decades apart with two way different visual directors being, I think, like, Ralph Bakshi. I think that's who did the original Lord of the Rings. I'm not going to look it up, but like if it's not Ralph Bakshi, it's like similar. And Peter Jackson. These two guys are completely apart. Sure, Peter Jackson might have taken some inspiration from Ralph Bakshi, but not a lot. And you can still tell. So if Magic does a set, then they can very easily do the same thing. Where, yeah, it's not the Peter Jackson movies. it's not the Ralph Bakshi movie, it's it's Magic the Gathering, but it's pretty much those two things. With Warhammer, Warhammer is very imperialistic. It's armor upon armor upon armor. It's these badass space marines. Everything's badass. <coughs> Excuse me. It, it's this huge, bulky, like, mad McMahon muscles. Big gun, shoot down space orc. Everything is grim and dark. Then, like, make the cards look like that. That's the set. Is, like, embrace the style of Warhammer. Don't make Warhammer look like... The closest magic analog would be, like, the Boros Legion. Or, Mm -hmm. like, Innistrad to a degree. Don't make... Warhammer looked like Innistrada of the Boros Legion, make Warhammer look like Warhammer. Which, yeah, Ralph Boxy did the Lord of the Rings. I, I had to look it up because it was bugging me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ralph Boxy Lord of the Rings and the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings look similar, but I, magic, their world should embrace putting their things through like the color lens of magic, whilst the stuff that isn't magic should kind of embrace being its own thing. And then just have the colors be there. Like, I don't know anything about Warhammer, but I know enough about Lord of the Rings. So, like, Frodo would definitely be, like, oh, green, white, red, halfling. But just make it look like Frodo. Don't make it look like Teague with, like, a little <laughs> bit of edge there. It, they are different, yes. They're both short-statured, very more... Simplistic living beings, but like anybody who knows fantasy, know, like anybody that has played Magic the Gathering and knows general fantasy, knows that there is a substantial difference between Kithkin and halflings. Halflings are just hobbits. It's just what they are. You, they know. So show it. Make it clear. Make it visible. With... Shrixhaven, what I hope they do is, and like what it kind of looks like they're doing is they're kind of looking at the color pairs, the enemy color pairs, in this more unique way. way, And then saying, whoa, instead of this magical super that we know, let's think of it like if we combine those colors in a John Hughes movie and just push a John Hughes movie through the magic colors which is hopefully what they do. Instead of making, like, oh, oh, look, it's this magical school that everybody knows and loves, but it's a little bit different, a little bit quirkier. That's kind of what I hope they do. So, like, the next few sets are going to be, like, Strixhaven, Lord of the... I mean, not Lord of the Strixhaven, D&D Beyond,
0: and then I think we're going to go back to Innistrad. Mm Mm-hmm. There, there's a couple Innistrad uh, sets that are should be coming out this fall. Yes. And then I think Chandelar is rumored to be the next set in 2022.
1: Oh, wow. I think. I think. I, I don't know. This is not confirmed. I'm not trying to spoil or leak anything. It's just one of those things where, like, you see things through the grapevine, and you see enough, you're like, hey, this has been alluded to in, like, the past four, like, supplemental sets. I think we're going back here. I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure we are. Mm-hmm. And if not Shandalar, then Kamigawa. It's like one of those two that we're getting in 2022. I'm pretty sure is going to come before Kamigawa, but whatever. Besides the point. So the next few sets is Strixhaven, D&D, then Inner With Strixhaven, I've already talked about. It's Let's look at a John Hughes type of movie or like high school drama and push it into Magic's Colors let's look at it through the lens of magic instead of looking at magic through the lens of this thing. Like, I'm excited for, like, the red-blue thing because they're, like, the theater art kids that are just, like... They're uh, vague, sensual orientation art kids that are just doing whatever the heck they want (laughs) and they're doing it with the elements. Ooh, that's kind of nifty. They're dramatic. They're flirty. They're they're kind of wild. But at the same point, they know what they're doing. Ah, that's cool. It's, I'm looking at Ferris Bueller's Day Off through the lens of magic. That's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And with D&D, like I mentioned, D&D's artwork is meant to be a little bit more vague, but if they kind of go into the more, like, exaggerations of D&D. So... Like, one thing I, I joke about is I say Innistrad before Innistrad. They have Strad in d Worlds Beyond, or whatever it's called, or Forgotten Realms. Then, make Strad look like a little bit more like Bella Lugosi than Thorin Markov. Make Strad look like this charming Dabonair, like overlord like he is instead of Soren Markov who's like this sad immortal boy in his chair previously in a rock. Or like if they do like any of the beholders, make the beholders look like Xanathar. Or Xanathar. Yeah, Xanathar. Mm -hmm. Where it's like this like it's a beholder, but it's a beholder loaded with personality. It's embracing what it is. for what it is. And then having magic stuff, like, be there. And then as much as I kind of liked Eldritch Moon and Shadows over Innistrad, where first it was kind of a gothic horror, now it's a gothic Eldritch horror. With the new Innistrad, I hope they just kind of doubled down on the gothic horror. Where, like, yeah, cool, we had, like, H.P. Lovecraft, his stuff kind of visited and kind of left, kind of still there, still. But now, like, sweet. So we've had like, universal monster movies, more or less, in the first Innistrad, with a little bit more demons, a little bit more angels. But still that sort of vibe. Now we have H.P. Lovecraft. I think what they could do with the new Innistrad, since it's based off of a wedding, that's supposedly the plot, is they can kind of embrace more like Edgar Allan Poe gothic horror, Mm -hmm. where they can look at Edgar Allan Poe and similar works through the lens of magic. As opposed to looking at magic through the lens of Edgar Allan Poe. You know?
0: Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. You're kind of t- putting things on its head a little bit and trying to find a happy medium, as Bob Ross would say. <laughs> or Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah
1: hopefully that's the direction they go. Shandalar? Shandalar is solely magic. That has always been, like, exclusively magic. Magic, it's it's a Dominaria 2. That's what Shandalar practically is.
0: Mm-hmm. And since so, you really enjoy Dominaria, it definitely sounds like you're not excited at all, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, I yeah. think with all the
1: lizard people, like, as much as like, the lizard people trope is kind of like a really bad trope, uh, with all the salamander people Magic's been referring to since 2014, and we've only seen, like, a few bits of Shandalar, it'd be interesting to see how, like, this island in the mist, this plane that's kind of shrouded in mystery, but less, like, there's a murder afoot, foot, and more, like, the game mist, but Magic the Gathering plane. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see how it looks. Everything's more blue. Everything's more swirly. Everything is, like, that trope that, like, ah, it's a magic card because it has fog in it, but dialed to 11. (laughs) It'd be cool to see. And, like, the Kamigawa set that's rumored to come out is supposed to be, like, Cyberpunk Kamigawa, which on one hand, it just seems like you're looking at uh magic through the lens of cyberpunk and not vice versa but I hope they kind of go in the reverse where they look at cyberpunk through the lens of magic Mm -hmm. where it's like oh let's see how we can make these things work in magic not let's make magic work to this thing definitely I'm interested to see how it turns out haven I'm hesitantly hopeful for. I grew up really enjoying that magical school. I I have sisters who still really enjoy it. I, I've since like got really sick of it, and like once like I objectively look back, I'm like, wow, none of this is really unique, and there's a lot of like really blatant plot holes and just like overall flavor plot holes, like. Instead of just, oh, why did X character do Y thing? It's like, hey, where do they poop? Or, like, similar sort of questions. Like, how do they do, like, these basic human functions? And none of that's explained in any sort of realistic way? It, or fantasy way at that? Dominaria, like, you can see, like, restrooms in the back of Dominaria. Like, it, you're not going to show you a Dominarian toilet or whatever, but, like, you ha- like, we've seen the inside of a tavern of Dominaria. It feels well, lived in, is what you're saying. Yes, it does. While with the magical school, it's just, hey, look, it's a school that's magical. There, like, there's no nuance to it. It's just there. Cool, whatever. Yeah, so, i hesitantly so, hopeful for Strixhaven, Was like, hey, look, it's a high school movie, but Magic.
0: Oh, okay. that's kind of neat. Yeah, so so just kind of some of the mundane stuff going on, too, instead of just the fantastical and the crazy. Kind of just showing you the day-to-day activities instead of just, like, the highlights or something. Yeah, like,
1: give us this whole world. Give us this whole universe. As opposed to just, just the greatest hits. Let us enjoy the whole album. hmm That sort of thing. So that's, that's... I'm hesitantly hopeful for magic art design. And since Dominaria, there have been more hits than there have been misses. I feel like all of like the new Ravnica block, but not block, and then, in turn, the two, like, disastrously bad books based around it kind of epitomized how magic art could be taken in a negative direction. Where yeah, it's cool, but here's something really unique. So we went to Ravnica, then we went to return to Ravnica, and now upon the return to return to Ravnica, Ravnica just kinda lost some of its glisten. It's lost some of it, oh, this is what makes Ravnica Ravnica. This is what makes this world this world. Upon Guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance and War of the Spark, it's just oh yeah, we're cool. It's like seeing Monaco in a spy movie. Cool, yeah, you've seen it, but it doesn't really show anything about it. It's just kind of there. While with the first Ravnica, you saw the minutia, You saw all these people living day to day in this unique and exciting world. In return to Ravnica, it was a little bit more bombastic, a little bit more like... lot more hits going on instead of minutiae but there was still you could understand the world as a whole and there were some moments of that in the new Ravnica block not block but a lot of it was just cool here's Raul cool here's Dovin cool here's Nicol Bolas doing Nicol Bolas things cool Token gay character doing token thing. Ah, cool. Like just completely wiping out a whole like character's history because done it didn't aesthetically fit what you were going for. It. Oh, here's just everything now kinda bathed in a kinda boring bluish light because of War of the Spark. It It just made it less of a world and more of a Look, it's Ravnica! I don't mm-hmm. care about Ravnica I don't care about Ravnica being Ravnica. I want Ravnica to be this world. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Alright. I think that's gonna be it for today. I wanna thank you again for being on here. We had a really great conversation and oh, obviously definitely. We're, and we're gonna definitely find out a lot more about universes beyond secret layers, strixhaven. Even time spiral here coming up here real soon, so we're gonna yeah, see. You know, we're gonna see how this stuff uh, plays out, and um, we're we're obviously hopeful that things are going to work out, but we're never quite sure with this game. So yeah,
1: I I really do hope, and I I enjoy Magic. I I have I will, despite all the problems going on. I just like for the art and aesthetic purposes, it is important and when magic realizes it's important and that it is something to focus on to make the world seem lived in to make it seem this unique space it makes the game feel unique so it's important so i'm hopeful that they do that or continue to do that more
0: mm-hmm. all right so uh yeah we've reached the end of the episode i want to thank you again for being on here it's been yeah thank you very
1: been. much too it's been a blast
0: yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, if you could just quickly uh, tell all the listeners where you can be found again, I think that hopefully some of them are hopefully, and again, listeners, I hope you're interested in <laughs> in the work here. So yeah, where can we find you online?
1: So uh, you could find me, at I, I'm i most active on Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com slash beyond the walk and only, there's no uh, E in the the. And you can also find me on Ink Gaming at Inkgaming.com slash Beyond the Machina, or if you just search Beyond the Machina in Ink Gaming, you can see most of my work. From those two places you can find my other things. Uh yeah, that's usually where you can find me. I like I said, I make a lot of magic gathering uh, proxies and playmats. I'm very proud of
0: my work and I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, definitely. And you can find me on Twitter at at MTG in Quarantine. You can also find the back catalog of my podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. So uh, for the MTG in Quarantine channel, my name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day.